Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa, as always. And today we are talking about a book recommendation. This will just be part one of two episodes, a special book recommendation, a book that I came across earlier this week when I was at the California Academies of Sciences, which is an amazing museum in San Francisco. You should definitely check out. And we were looking at the aquarium. We were seeing some other really cool exhibits there, taking some pictures. And at the end of the day, I wandered into the gift store, which I normally don't buy anything from gift stores and museums, but I needed to charge my phone. So they had an outlet plugged in my phone. While I was sitting there, I saw this really cool book. Now, a lot of what I do on this show, in addition to just providing all sorts of education tips and even some health tips that coincide with good education, good mental focus, another thing I try to do is I try to let people know, well, how does math relate to the real world? And today, we're talking about a book that I found that is not only how does math relate to the real world, it's it's about that, but moreover, what does it mean to be a mathematician? And it's it's something that I think even for me, as much as I love mathematics, I never became a mathematician, math professor, somebody in research trying to uncover new pieces of the different equations and how they relate to the real world. I never did that. So to me, this is pretty interesting, too, because I've often wondered, what is it? What is the day to day like for a professional mathematician for math professor? That's the book that I stumbled upon. It's called Birth of a Theorem, A Mathematical Adventure, and it's by Cedric Villany. Now, Cedric Villany, if you don't know who he is, he's a mathematician that lives in Paris, and he's he is the uh, professor at a school called École uh, Normale Supérieure. École uh, is just school in, in French, and it's a very renowned university. But moreover, he is the recipient of the Fields Medal. Now, if you haven't heard of the Fields Medal, maybe if you've seen Goodwill Hunting, they talk about the Fields Medal a lot in Goodwill Hunting, and they refer to it as the Nobel Prize of Math. And that's really what it is, except you get a much different cash prize. For the Nobel Prize, you're, you're getting almost $1.2, maybe $1 million, $1.2 million is what it comes out to American for the Fields Medal, it's around ten thousand uh, dollars. It's it's so the prize money is not nearly as high, but the prestige value is just as high, and for mathematicians, I suppose even higher. And there's a few different things about the Fields Medal too. It's they only give it out every four years, and you can only win it if you're under forty years old. Now the reason why, at least the ostensible reason, is that the goal of the of the Fields Medal 
in the words of the founder, uh, John Charles Fields, is that he wanted to encourage continual new ideas, not from the same people necessarily, but from other people. So you get a crack at it when you're under 40, you win it, fine. Now we pass the torch for other people to innovate and push and to create. So that was the impetus for the age restriction and that's how it has remained. And a few people can win every year. You can have up to four people, uh, sorry, every four years, you can have up to four people win. And again, Cedric Villainy won in 2010. Some other people, well, I guess one other notable person that won in 2006, you may or may not have heard of him. I talked about him on another show that we were doing on IQ because he has supposedly the highest IQ in the world. It's a guy named Terrence Tao. He's actually mentioned in this book, by the way. But Terrence Tao won it at the age of 31, which is very young. And Terrence Tao, of course, is a professor now at UCLA. I think he was the youngest tenured professor in the school's history. And he does a lot of work with prime numbers and all sorts of other things. Uh, I believe his he won the Fields Medal in particular for contributions to differential equations, combinatorics, uh, I don't know what that is, and harmonic analysis and additive number theory. So a few of those things I actually would have to look up myself but that he won it in 2006, and that was pretty cool. But now we're going to talk about this book. So I'm just going to give a little bit more background about the Fields Medal. I actually found some cool stuff on just to give you to flesh it out a little bit more on Wikipedia. So here we go. Fields Medal is a prize awarded to two, three, or four mathematicians under 40 at the International Congress of the International Mathematic Union, a meeting that takes place every four years. The Fields Medal is sometimes viewed as the highest honor a mathematician can receive, and it's often described as the Nobel Prize for math. Uh, again, it comes with that monetary award, and Fields was instrument. So John Charles Fields, the guy who created this award, he was a Canadian mathematician, and he was instrumental in establishing the award, designing the medal itself, and funding the monetary component. The medal was first awarded in 1936 to Finnish mathematician Lars Alfors and American mathematician Jesse Douglas, and it has been awarded every four years since 1950. Its purpose is to give recognition and support to younger mathematical researchers who have made major contributions. In 2014, Miriam Mirzakhani became the first woman as well as the first Iranian, and Archer Avila became the first mathematician from Latin America to be awarded a Fields Medal. Very cool. So that was in 2014. Cedric won it in 2010, and this is his book. And let me give you a little bit of background on Cedric Villainy. So Cedric Villainy, again, French mathematician, and he works on partial differential equations, Riemannian geometry. It's, it's like Riemann sums. I'm familiar with Riemann sums because this is sort of the basis for calculating area under a curve, which is what integral calculus is all about. It sounds really complicated, but it's a simple concept. It's just basically trying to calculate areas and surface areas of all sorts of different objects and different ways to do that accurately. So after attending, so he attended Lycée Louise Legrand, then he was admitted at École Normale Supérieure in Paris, studied from there from 1992 to 1996, and then he was appointed an assistant professor in the same school. He received his doctorate at Paris Dauphine University in 1998, and then became a professor at École Normale Supérieure de Lyon in 2000. 
All right, so let's talk about the book. We got some stuff on the back, which is kind of cool. So, and I think this is really cool, the, this one critic. Cedric Villainy's Birth of a Theorem is like no other about math, an unfiltered view into the daily life and the soul of a great mathematician as he approaches and finally conquers a major result. So let's talk about the book. There's some stuff in this book. Now, it's written for the public, but there's some stuff in this book, some really heady equations and descriptions that absolutely go over my head. Uh, but I believe the intention of putting some of this stuff in the book is to really give people like me, like anybody else reading it, a, a true understanding of what these equations look like, how they're being worked on. And I think what's really cool is it shows the process, which is fascinating because it's 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 quite a mystery, I think, to most people. Like, what do they do? What are they doing all the time? Are they solving just little problems or, or what's going on? And you see that through his journey, again, uh, I'm only about 100 pages in. It's about 230 pages. So we're going to have to do another episode to round it out when I do finish this, which I can't wait. It'll happen probably in the next couple of days. But it's it shows that it shows how he's talking to one person, gets an idea here, then he implements it, tries it, fails, tries again, has a partner, works with him, is scribbling equations and trying different things. And it's it's so cool because it's really what learning and innovation is all about. It's it's about connecting the dots between these disparate ideas you know, that seem disparate anyways, but really connect in different ways and how to reconfigure things that don't seem like they go together to go together to then create new ideas that work, that are applicable, that show, that are demonstrably proven to work. Well, now let's talk about what's actually some of the stuff that's more specifically in here. So there's these there's these little sections that are in, that are italicized, and they're amazing because they're like, as soon as you see the italicized section, you know you're getting a little historical flashback and an explanation of a famous mathematician and more importantly, whatever his major contribution was, which usually is some sort of an equation. Now these equations, what are all these crazy equations? They are all attempts to model behavior of something in the real world. So what this book is primarily about is it's about modeling the behavior of gases and and, and they're also talking about the modeling of plasma as well. And it, it comes down to this idea of entropy. And if you're not familiar with entropy, I can explain it really quickly. It's essentially a level of disorder. Okay. And it's, it's the idea is that things will get more chaotic. That's in general, the idea behind entropy. Things naturally prog- progress towards disorder. It's irreversible. And yet there comes a point where there becomes there comes an equilibrium point of disorder that once you hit that point, you're that's it. That's where you stay. And one of the things we're talking about in this book is where is that point of disorder of chaos for a gas? At what point do you reach that for a gas? Right? If you have solids, liquids, gases, gas like air, oxygen, etc. At what point are you going to reach that level of chaos and why? And what, you know, what is the point of this? Well, if you can start modeling, you know, there's, there's all sorts of potential applications. But if you can start modeling and figuring out and predicting the behavior of different gases, who knows what the applications could be? I mean, it could have relevance to perhaps 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm just making stuff up, but perhaps compressing air, how air would react in certain mnemonics, uh, 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 pneumatic pumps, things like that. So this is just off the top of my head, but all the idea is a lot of times when we are trying to model behavior in real life, what that allows us to do is instead of trying to figure it out by essentially take, doing a bunch of experiments, at what point, how is the gas going to re- react? Well, let's do 100 experiments and let's figure out how it reacts the majority of the time. Instead of doing that and spending the money to run these tests, if we can model this behavior really accurately via mathematics, we don't have to go and do these super costly experiments or in some cases impossible experiments. Instead, we can model it and make predictions and then change our actions accordingly. So here I'm going to so one of the things that is talked about is this thing called the Boltzmann equation in this book. And apparently Cedric Villainy is an expert of the Boltzmann equation. So here's I'm going to read one of these italicized portions. It's so cool. It talks about well what is the Boltzmann equation and this is a long equation. So basically it's a it's a double integral of you know I'm not going to read everything but it looks like we're to have two functions minus the product of two other functions. This is a pretty intense equation, but that's not important. Let me read this awesome part. The Boltzmann equation, discovered around 1870, models the evolution of a rarefied gas made billions and billions of particles that collide with one another. The statistical distribution of the positions and velocities of these particles is represented by a function which at time t indicates the density of the particles whose position is x and whose velocity is v. And these are approximations. but So there you go. So we've got a v in there. And guess what? That just represents the velocity or speed. we got a t in there that represents, I'm sorry, the, the v represents velocity, the x represents the position, and our t represents time. So it seems complicated, but it makes sense. That's all we're doing is these are just representing each of those pieces. Ludwig Boltzmann was the first to express the statistical notion of entropy or disorder in a gas. By means of this equation, he was able to prove that moving from an initial arbitrarily fixed state, entropy can only increase over time, never decrease. And again, entropy is that idea of chaos of disorder. Left to its own devices, in other words, the gas spontaneously becomes more and more disordered. He also proved that this process is irreversible. In stating the principle of entropy increase, Boltzmann reformulated a law that had been discovered a few decades earlier, the second law of thermodynamics. But he did several things that enriched it immeasurably from the conceptual point of view. First, by providing a rigorous proof, he placed an experimentally observed regularity that had been elevated to the status of a natural law on a secure theoretical foundation. What are they saying there? Well, they're saying, hey, we had observed this a bunch of times. And now I'm going to show you from a theoretical standpoint why this also must occur, why this is happening. He's proving, he's reaffirming this idea. All right, next, he introduced an extraordinarily fruitful mathematical interpretation of a mysterious phenomenon. Finally, he reconciled microscopic physics, unpredictable, chaotic, and reversible, with microscopic physics, predictable, stable, and irreversible. These achievements earned Boltzmann a place of honor in the pantheon of theoretical physicists and stimulated an enduring interest in his work among epistemologists and philosophers of science. So when we talk about microphysics and macrophysics, if you haven't 
thought about this or heard about this really before. What we have, and, and this is a continuously growing field, what we see happening the microscopic level when we're going down to almost the atomic level, we see behavior oftentimes that doesn't make sense. String theory is a is a an attempt to explain a lot of this quite bizarre behavior at the quantum level. And it just it just doesn't make sense a lot of times with what we see happening with our own eyes on the at the macro scale. So that's what they're saying here is he was able to draw a link, draw a connection between why we see this big discrepancy in behavior. Additionally, Boltzmann defined the equilibrium state of statistical system as the state of maximum entropy, thus founding a vast field of research known as equilibrium statistical physics. In so doing, he demonstrated that the most disordered state is the most natural state of all. That was very interesting. So they talk about the Boltzmann theorem and they're like, well, what is it all about? What are we doing? And it's talking about basically just this this idea of watching and modeling and predicting the path of gas, gaseous material. It's really cool. Now, as we now, it's not all that it says a little bit heady, but as we see, as we move through the book, we're talking about theorems. We're also talking about his journey. And I think as you get further, farther along in the book, it focuses more on the journey, at least it's starting to in the point that I'm at versus showing and explaining all these formulas. But I think the explanations are really fascinating. You have to slow down a little bit to understand what's going on, but it's great. But then the other cool thing is it just talks about his his quest and how he came about it. Oh, I remember I've seen that one place before and I'm trying to, you know, I, I saw something that cracked a similar idea. Why don't you take a look at this and see if it applies? Okay, no. Then he goes somewhere else, gives a lecture, talks to somebody random. They give him some more ideas. His partner has another idea and they're running around trying to basically pull all this information together while lecturing, teaching all this stuff. And in his mind, he even writes about the fact that he was actually, his ambition was, he was actually thinking about how he wanted to win a Fields Medal. That was his goal. And he knew the clock was ticking. He knew that he only had, he's now 42. So uh, five, six years ago, sorry, he was 36. And he, it was 2010 or nothing because in 2014, the rule is you have to be, I believe your 40th birthday has to come before January 1st of that year. So basically, that was it. He had one chance to win this Fields Medal, and he, he wanted to make it happen. He wanted to, to make this big leap. So that's what he's doing is he's trying to really come up with something that's revolutionary, solve a problem that hadn't been, hadn't been solved before, and we kind of go along with him on his quest. Now, I know how it ends. I know that he ends up winning the Fields Medal and making this great discovery. But it's really cool to see, and it's really fun to get an inside look at what it takes to be or what it's like to be a mathematician. I actually want to reach out to him. I'm sure he's got all sorts of commitments. I'm sure he's a very busy mathematician person and professional, but I'm going to do my best to try and get him on the show so we can interview him and chat with him about his life and how he got into math and what really piqued his interest about it. And how it really differs from doing math in the classroom, whether you're talking about pre-algebra, whether you're talking about calculus, whatever it may be, when you're actually on the side where you're trying to answer these big questions and solve these really complex problems, 
what that's like and what's the personality type that it takes to be so interested and intrigued and good at this particular profession. So that is my introduction to this book. I highly recommend it. It is a bit high level somewhat. I would say high school, and if you love to read, and if you're really into math, you want to give it a shot, I say give it a shot. Uh, and if you if you want to try it at a younger age, go for it. But it is, at some points, a little bit, you know, it, I, I, think it, I think it might be a little tough to understand in middle school. But I say if you want to do it, give it a shot, do your best. And if you have any comments or any other thoughts on the book, I'd love to hear from you. So again, I'm going to put a link to... Uh, the Amazon link so that if you want to check this book out, you want to read a sample or you want to buy it, I'll put that in the show notes. You can check it out at www.scalerlearning.com. You can also email me, contact me if you have any questions or comments at huzefa at scalerlearning.com. I'd love to hear from you as always. And we will do part two of this book review once I finish the book, which I can't wait to do. Like I said, should be in the next few days. And then we will make our way through the rest of it. I'll read some other cool choice excerpts that I think are especially fascinating and interesting. And then maybe you'll check it out for yourself. So that's all for today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And I will see you guys next time. Take it easy. Skin